So how's it going? Good, I guess. Hmm. You said I guess. Why, why do you guess? I don't know. It just feels kind of disingenuous to say good. I mean, nothing's really changed. Okay, well, last time something we talked about, habits and patterns, and we wanted to work on some of those things, like huffing gas... Have you stopped doing that? No comment. That's fine. We'll get there. These things take time. What about a hobby? Uh... That doesn't sound like a no. Do you want to elaborate? Not really. I'm not sure it even counts as an activity. You had talked about possibly doing Zrayonk or joining a Vrimao club. Those are ambitious activities, so if you didn't go that route, that's no reason to get down on yourself. Did you end up doing something else? I bought a dark cloud. A dark cloud. I'm unfamiliar with that. It sounds like it could be an activity. No, it's just a little cloud that blooms and hangs out and grows crap. Seems like you're feeling some hesitation about sharing, and I think it's a big step that you tried something new. When you say hangs out and grows crap, do you mean like a garden? No, I mean it just like hangs out in your room, and it grows like black holes and galaxies and stars and planets and shit. And some of the planets can grow life. It's okay. You can swipe your hand through it and feel some of the black holes and stuff. It's kind of cool. Well, that sounds fun. This is the most excited I've heard you be about something in a while. This definitely sounds like a hobby. I'm proud of you. Thanks. I thought you might be mad because I got it through the endless abyss. Oh, well, we did talk about that being a source of negative experiences for you. What made you want to explore that again? I was, uh, I was huffing gas. That's, that's understandable. But rather than focus on falling into old patterns, and we all do that, let's focus on what sounds like an exciting new pastime. It's okay. Sorry I huffed. Please, you never need to apologize to me. We're all doing our best. You said that some of the planets grow life. Tell me more about that. Oh, it's crazy. They grow these little beings and they walk around and talk to each other and build cities and have wars and they multiply at like an insane level. And you can see all this in the cloud? There are all these little lights, like trillions of them, that show every single angle you could ever want. You just have to look in an area, and it automatically zooms into that spot. 
Steve, this is amazing. And, and you made this? I mean, I just followed the instructions. And now it just kind of hovers in my closet. I don't really remember how I made it because of the gas. When you say that it hovers in your closet, is that what it's designed for? Is that how you're supposed to use it? Um, not totally. No, probably not. I just got kind of sick of it, so I put it in there for a little break. And what made you get sick of it? Well, every time I looked in, it was just them having sex, like, non-stop, just constantly. And when they weren't, there were always beings screaming up. And honestly, it looked like they were looking right at me, going, Why? Why did you do this? Please help me! Help me, God! Who is God? I have no idea. That's just what they started calling me. In all of their languages. All the time. It just felt like every time I looked in, they were asking me to do something I couldn't. Or asking why I had made them, or, you know, having sex. Do the instructions say anything about this? I have no idea. I bought it from the Endless Abyss, and I was high on gas. Right. And when they're asking you to do things that you couldn't do, do you mean they want you to have sex with them? What? No, like helping their team win a sporting event or something like that. And you can't do that? No, not even close. I can only look in. I can add new stuff, but it's really hard. Every time I add new stuff, some new problem comes up. I'm not sure I understand. They worry about a disease. I add in something that allows them to create technology that can alleviate that disease. But then they use that technology to film themselves reproducing, or to just be mean to each other and make themselves dumber. Then they make more of themselves, a new disease pops up, and they're just always begging me to cure something. It's not what I thought I was buying. Well then, why not just get rid of it? Whoa. A couple of reasons, but mostly because they're scared of death. What? They're like, terrified. They have no idea what life is, why they exist, what comes next. It's not like here where Gamuma eats you. I suppose we are lucky that we know that. We live and then Gamuma eats you. Totally. But what if there was no Gamuma? Don't even joke about that. I, I'm sorry to get serious. I, I want this session to continue, but do not joke about that. I never would, but you asked why I don't flush it away. I see. That's very sweet of you. You're worried that they'll be scared? Yeah. Even the ones who are certain that I watch them all the time are scared. And it just feels kind of mean to wipe it all away while they're scared. So you're keeping it around until you can convey to them what their meaning is? To take away their fear? Uh, yes. Or it's not that. When I asked you why you don't wipe it away, you initially said there were a couple of reasons. What was the other reason? Uh... Steve. Gas. Oh, no. How? Well, they burn through so much material that they create methane and carbon dioxide and some other tasty nugs, and I just... Steve, no. Please tell me that you didn't purchase this cloud purely to huff gas from it. How much can it even produce? Barely any, but I'm an addict. 
and it was cheap. I cannot believe I in some way enabled and even encouraged you to pursue this. I, I'm sorry, but I need you to leave. It's not even enough gas to get you high. That's not the point. We'll pick this up another time, but I cannot lose my license because you won't be forthright. So, should I wipe the cloud? That is entirely up to you. Do you want to take away their fear? Or is it just a means to get high? You'll have to figure that out. For now, let's pick up another time. Okay, sorry. We'll see ya. Hello, and welcome to the Space Cave. A big warg to all of you. I'm David Huntsberger, and thanks for joining the show. And right off the top, thanks to some new Patreon subscribers, uh, Terry Hammond, Gray Gorman, both at the $5 level, and our pal Sean Doran, $20 a month, Platinum Spaceburger level. What a guy. He helped out with One-Headed Beast. He helped with Big Nothingness. For no reason, decided to help this show. Doesn't need to. He's already helped me more than enough uh, with creative projects and things. But just a nice human being. So thanks to Sean. I sent him a bunch of stuff. If you support the show, uh, hand-screen-printed stickers, posters, things like that. Uh, if that interests you at all and or just supporting this show so it can remain, can remain ad-free, that's great. Patreon.com slash Space Cave is the way to do it. Thanks to the three of them, and welcome to uh, supporting the show. We'll get right into it. Part one with an old friend, an inspiration, creative person, someone who has been prolific as an actor, so fun to talk about the art of it, the craft, the history, how he approaches it. You know him from a million things, probably most endearing as Dr. Venture from the Venture Brothers, but so many other things. Uh, here's part one with James Urbaniak. You don't even know this, but we've already started. Incredible. Yeah. Sneaks up on you, this show. I kept, um, uh, and I didn't want to, I'm going to, as it turns out, but I kept thinking, like, how how I would lead off, and then I just can't get over House of Gucci and a bunch of Americans are speaking like this. I haven't seen it yet. Always hard to do <sighs> dialect work. Unbearable. Fun, but it. challenging. It's it's not only that they're doing these ridiculous <laughs> impressions, it's that they're going, how do you say? Yeah. You don't speak Italian, but you're doing a fake Italian thing where everyone you're in italy no one's speaking italian it's not then, the place to do mario brothers no and ask how do you say <laughs> what <laughs> why would you say how do you say when you don't speak italian that's just absurd to me and the they all sort of sound like that every character ah, hello nice to see you so there's a, but i haven't seen it but is is there there's a is ridley scott directed it right is he going for hmm. a large gesture a, a satirical take I, on these people i didn't i don't think so i didn't finish it okay because um, i don't know i have no right to talk about it since i haven't seen it I like but i've picked up things like this that you things that you're saying you hear these things yeah i, I just found it weird that <laughs> you're, you're putting people into a world that's where it, so i guess we could start sort of there and that everyone probably has a different reason why they started acting it's just fun to make believe it's fun but as you decide to make a career of it as you really get into the 
fund like your fundamental philosophy as to why it has value as an art, I would guess it's that I can bring people into this other world and for a moment have them live there with us, the the troupe or the characters, the cast. Yes. And then transport them for a little bit. And that seems like a delicate thing to develop and achieve, but probably a fun challenge. Yes. What's the M. Night uh, movie where, uh, with Lee, uh, is it uh, Mark Wahlberg? Where, uh, the uh, Mist? It, it, I don't, it's the one where, like, the trees are acting weird. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was one of his bigger flops. Like, people kind of make fun of that one. I know what you're talking about. Why can't I think of the... I think it's that we could look it up, but why do that? Let's <laughs> yeah. use our brains. Sure. But there's a weird thing in that where I watched it, and there are lots of great actors in it. And to a man and woman, they're all giving like notably bad performances. And I actually had to wonder, was this a directorial choice where he wanted a kind of camp style? Mm -hmm. If you think about like the movie Ed Wood, the movie Ed Wood is sort of, is brilliant. And it very successfully does the thing where the movie itself is done in the manner of an Ed Wood movie. Yeah. It's in black and white. Johnny Depp is giving this stylized kind of performance that's kind of like an old timey actor, you know? Yeah. And it works. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering... Was that a was that a, a a choice that didn't land? Because it's odd that people who are like good are are equally sort of weirdly bad in that. And I wondered if that was a choice. So it's like this thing of so that's why I was asking about House of Gucci. Like, yeah. do you think that was actually a choice from the top down? Like, I want this kind of cartoony. Good question. I, I like the idea of having a movie show where. One person hasn't seen it. So these are just my armchair theories about something I haven't seen. <laughs> you know, it doesn't stop most people from expressing opinions. I forgot. Well, we, yeah. <laughs> Glad you brought that up. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but uh, yeah, from what I gather, it's a bunch of crap. Yeah. I, I forgot that, you know, when you live in Los Angeles, people have been a part of making things. So there's always like a, well, were they trying this? You know, let, let's find a number of ways to understand what they were trying to do before we just call it a flop or a, a mistake or a failure. And this is interesting because you 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 have you suggested to me that the topic of this podcast would be acting mm -hmm. and I'm an actor. Mm -hmm. But one thing and we've talked a little about this is like styles. And one thing that interests me is that you can look back at like actors in the uh well, let's say like before the 1960s. So like from like the 1930s through the 50s, and there's actually more than one stream of acting happening back then. There are people on film who are acting kind of naturalistically and the way that we think of modern actors, like Gary Cooper was like that. He's very natural. He's not of the kind of, hey, say, what's going on, school? Yeah. But there is that kind of acting that was happening back then, but it's happening uh, alongside the kind of naturalism. Mm -hmm. And some people who act in that more presentational style are very good and commanding at it, and some aren't. But the style itself isn't bad, it's just an old style. Anyway, that's something that interests me. Well, yeah, we, I think the last time we were together, we were talking about <clears throat> there's good acting within that in the same way that exactly this kind of mid-2000s, I'm a man in a movie and I talk like this. Exactly, and that's because each generation has its own sort of trends so there was a time in the 30s where some guys were like, yeah, you talk out of the side of your mouth and you kind of do that. And that's that's very similar to the like Game of Thrones style where guys kind of talk like this. And neither one is natural. No one really talks right. like that. 
But for those pe- actors in their times, that's the way to sell it. And it, I think, that, <laughs> and there are very commanding people who do the quiet acting because it has more of an inner life to it. That's the key. If you have some sort of inner life, then the style that you're presenting, the acting is a delivery service for emotions, right? So, yeah. so you can deliver it in different styles, and it can still be good. But it's interesting because I, I watched. Um, an old British movie called Things to Come, which is a science fiction movie based on H.G. Wells about, and it was made right like at the beginning of the war in Europe. It's from like around 39. And Raymond Massey, uh, who I think is either American or Canadian by birth, is in it playing like a guy in the future. And he does this kind of acting where he sort of proclaims everything, you know. (laughs) We will win this war against the aliens or whatever he's saying. Mm -hmm. And you can look at it and go, well, that kind of acting is only done in comedy. We only see that kind of acting when we're sending something up. But the fact is, I was watching this thinking, okay, he's doing a style that's dead. No one does this sort of acting unless they're sending something up, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But he's very commanding. So he's really good at it. So he's just a man of his time. Doing a style that is very is not only dated now, but doesn't exist anymore. But he's really good at it because he has some sort of specificity to it. He has an inner life, uh, and but you know you could watch him and go, "Oh, that's a bad actor." It's like, well, no, he's just acting in a style I know exactly that you're not into anymore. Like, I don't know. People aren't that into polka music anymore, but I'm sure if you listen to a polka record, you're like, well, this guy can really play. I'm just, this is just not like a viable style anymore that people hear at parties and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) I see it all the time in the Twilight Zone, the old ones, in that if Mm. someone was talking out of the side of their mouth, see, blew the coop and the bad, if that's working where someone goes to the dog track to get a scoop and it fits that world and it comes from, like you're saying, like an inner place, fits. But now you have that character and they're supposed to be just someone at a diner and a person comes in, the heavy would, well, we're, we're here, Don. I don't know if you have change for a dollar, do you? There's just this kind of, I'm a man sort Exactly, of a kind of, indica- Charlton Heston was the master of that kind of, I'm a man acting. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting period, Twilight Zone, because that's the 50s. Also, you see like Alfred Hitchcock presents at the same time, 50s, early 60s, because there's a whole revolution happening in, in American acting, I guess internationally, but really in America, where this sort of, you know, for lack of a better word, what we call the method, the sort of actor studio adjacent. Brando, of course, a great example, you know, at the time when he broke a kind of acting that was centered on a kind of emotional realism that was very different than that kind of presentational quality that we're talking about. It's just a different style, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, there's something interesting about watching TV like The Twilight Zone and Hitchcock Presents from that period because you'll see both those strains happening. You'll see the more old-fashioned style, people who mm-hmm. have been acting like that for decades in the 50s, who were like born in 1890 or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then you'll see younger actors of that sort of method generation who are much more naturalistic and closer to what we think of as the basically the, the modern convention of what good screen acting is, which yeah. changes. And in 100 years, people will probably look at those and there's also the thing of people act super quiet sometimes in movies and, you know, that we talked mm-hmm. about. Yeah. And that's no more real than people talking like this. And so in a hundred years, people might look at Game of Thrones and say, why are they all t- whispering? It's so weird. Yeah. I, I... <laughs> and there'll be some other convention in a hundred years that is accepted as the proper way to do it. And well, it the... will continue to change. 
the thing that we think of as authenticity, which you're trying to achieve and like, oh, that captures how humans behave in this moment. I did some episodes on rhetoric. And so getting to the, to the heart of well, how can someone be authentic? Everyone has these affectations. Everyone has things they've picked up along the way to kind of sell something to you. I'm listening. I'm endearing. I'm sensitive. I'm, or maybe they don't. They're a sociopath and they just, I don't care what you think of me. Yeah. But we, when we look at acting and like you said, in a hundred years, we'll look at this period. And if you could pull one of us back to life and ask us what's going on here, we'd go, we were convinced that was so progressive and so much removed from, Hey, what do you say? You know, we were talking how we thought humans talked, but in a hundred years, someone will go, the whisper thing. You guys all thought that was a good move. That's, that's right. Yeah. Cause also social conventions change the way the language that people use, even the sounds of people's voices. You can hear Let's just call them dialects, just the way people speak is, you'll hear people in the 30s who still sound like people, like Gary Cooper again, or Jimmy Stewart for that matter. He's got such a famous drawl, but he doesn't really do that mid-Atlantic thing that a lot of American actors did back then, Mm -hmm. you know? So he sounds closer to people today. Uh, But then you have have people who, uh, like, you know, the mid-Atlantic accent thing, Catherine Hepburn, that kind of vocal quality, which just again, only exists as a send-up. Yeah. And she's like an old Eastern seaboard, seaboard rich lady. But women from that background today sound like they grew up in the valley, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. that, <laughs> that's sort of the generic sound that, you know, <laughs> that everybody has. Yeah. <laughs> sure, darling, back then. And then now it's just, oh my God, it's literally the best thing I've... That would that would transfer to so many places. I think it's interesting because, yeah, it's like the class thing. There used to be like a kind of upper class accent. And there were a few people, like the writer George Plimpton, if you've seen interviews with him, he has a sort of mid-Atlantic accent. He talks like this. Mm -hmm. And like uh, people from that background don't talk like that anymore. (laughs) I'd be shocked (laughs) if there was like a 30-year-old guy who has that voice who grew up wealthy and went to Harvard and whatnot. Yeah. He just sounds like anybody. You you know, the, the class distinctions are less obvious, you know, unless you get into real, like, you know, New York or... Chicago, uh, but I also love like regional dialects too. Mm-hmm. But you hear less. You, there are less actors who keep their regional dialects, which is something I always enjoy. Michael Caine, Fran Drescher, you know, come on, <laughs> <laughs> Dennis yeah. Franz, you know. <laughs> yeah, you, like the Fran Drescher one, especially that. Okay, Fran, this is one. The range is so limited, and that you're a field medic and you have to run over and kneel over this person that is losing a lot of blood. Okay. And I just sort of run over and like, yeah. that voice isn't necessarily yeah. sure. But she I basically, be- she basically, yeah, carved out a place in comedy. So that's, her, that's her area. Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't necessarily cast her as a dramatic doctor though. You could, and I bet she'd kill it. <laughs> I think if she can master, <laughs> you know, the way Paul Thomas Anderson used Adam Sandler, it's mm-hmm. like, this is all your comic vocabulary, but we're going to say, what if this was a real guy? <laughs> Which is what, like, Punch Drunk Love is, is basically. What if an Adam Sandler character actually lived in the world that we live in? And what would that be like? Yeah. So he still, he still kind of mumbles and then screams, but it's not, it's not the same. <laughs> well, you, you've helped me with one of the audio sketches I've been writing and making lately. And that's given me a totally different ear now for acting from just uh, an auditory standpoint. Like yeah. Here, so if, you, if you're if you doing a character that sounds like this or, oh, they're all going to laugh at you. Or, you know, one of like <laughs> these kind of 
did you do that, sweetheart? Kind of. That's sort of an Adam Sandler-esque character. That's weird for his voice, but it, he pulls it off because he can he can inflect in certain ways that make that character believable, even as outrageous as it is. So when you're just listening strictly through headphones and hearing a character that seems believable, even as like as much of a send up as it is, uh, there's a skill there where if I were a director, I'd go, oh, that person can probably do anything because they can make this character sound somewhat like relatable or um, familiar as opposed to just yeah. – because if you can do the voice and then you're just saying everything monotone, it doesn't work. You have to have inflection and cadence in a way that – there's a believability behind it that is, I care whether or not you eat that food. Yeah, that you're actually, the thing is, that's exactly right. That's just like in writing or uh, screenwriting or playwriting. or it's, it's all about communicating something. And the fact is, there's only so many human experiences. I mean, there are infinite human experiences and emotions, but there are only so many of them, and they've all been experienced since time immemorial. Mm-hmm. So the emotions Shakespeare is getting at are the same emotions that we're exploring today. Yeah. The fact is those don't change at all. The way people talk changes, the words they use, and the acting styles change. But everyone's basically been doing the same thing since the Greeks decided to play act in front of people. <laughs> it's, really, <laughs> it's really the same goal, to express yourself, to express an emotion. Yeah. And as long as that's actually being expressed, then the thing is going to land. And it kind of doesn't matter what the style is, sort of, you know. Yeah, I think of uh, those old movies maybe in the 30s, and I, I, I'm not that familiar, so I'm speaking a little bit out of turn, but whenever I try to watch them, sometimes I have to turn them off because they seem to be enamored with a scene that goes on for five minutes, and it seemed like they really loved back then, well, a man who has his act together, and maybe he's a thief or a jeweler or a businessman or just someone on a vacation, and... A woman who is debating or deliberating whether to like join him on a, a <laughs> ship or something. Right. Well, I'm ever so fond of your idea, but I'm afraid I simply have to stay back. All right. Well, there's no harm in that. Uh, pour us a drink, would you? And then it would just go on for like five. And now we've really narrowed that down to, well, the ship leaves tomorrow at five. I don't know if I can make it. Well, think about it. Okay, bye. And the, the scene is yeah. so tight now where we're not as enamored with, wow, look at them. When there's so few movie stars, I think back then it was like their stars, keep them on the screen as long as possible. Just let people look at them. People want to leave their houses and come sit in a chair and watch these people on screen. So just have them talk. Whereas now it's kind of like, let's tell this story. Let's move it ahead. That's true. I I mean, but there's also the thing where there's still versions of what you're describing. Like if you think about Quentin Tarantino, he has lots of scenes that really go on for a very long time yeah. where people just talk to each other. Yeah. And part of the pleasure is indeed his pleasure at these actors, you know. So yeah. there's sort of different formats for that kind of thing. But yeah, there's also just a kind of the way that an actor like Harry Grant, uh, who I love, but the way that he holds an audience's attention and commands the screen is is different than, you know, the way someone else does it today. What is in your head in the moment? Because you've been one-man play. You perform to big crowds, to tiny crowds, to... You've been, I'm sure, in ensemble casts. You've been in sitcoms and movies. You've done voice work. You're Dr. Venture, for heaven's sake. And <laughs> I, voice work, you can read the page and, like, your mind is 
taken up with either remembering those things or looking at them or there's someone in a booth. There's a detachment there because the fourth wall is almost like physically up. Whereas if you're in a scene and they go, and action, are you trying to think of all these things you're talking about? Or are you just in the character? It depends on the, it depends on the thing, really. It's an interesting question because now that I'm getting older too, I'm sort of thinking about acting in a different way. You know, I'm 58, so I, I'm sort of more interested right now in sort of character details than a way that, personally, for what I do, mm-hmm. that in the past maybe I'd be more like, well, I'm kind of putting my voice and kind of personality into this character, you know, character on the page, but it kind of comes out like James Urbaniak. And now I'm a little more interested in maybe getting away from my default qualities and trying to, you know, find my way in where it's more of a character thing. And I think that's kind of related to just getting older. I'm not sure why, but it's just something that's interesting to me that I'm sort of drawn to uh, sort of leading with a different focus when I approach a, a character that I used to. If that makes any sense. No, that's what I want to get into. Because to me, as an outsider, when I hear people reference tools or a place to start or how they let the character like inhabit their skin or whatever they're they're kind of use, utilizing as a phrase, I understand on kind of a surface level. But so say you've – I've called you up and said, you know, great news, or I called your agent and said, <laughs> great news, like we're going to go ahead. So that we liked you enough on camera with the – the audition, the callback, that maybe you even did a test, yeah. but that's only a couple line passing. Now we, maybe we're going to shoot a two-hour movie, and you have to really start going. So I, I assume by getting the audition and su- being successful there, you've already started to build some of the foundation of who this character is. But when you say coming at it from a certain place, do you mean like, oh, what I know about this person, and then given that it's an audition, I can't invest in like – shaving my head and gaining 20 pounds. I, I can give one or two bits of the, myself to this character for the audition. Yeah. And so you say, I think this person's main thing is they're sort of bitter. So I'm going to deliver every line with just a hint of like resentment about my life or my history. This is what I'm taking away from what you're saying. But is that close to then, okay, now the two-hour movie, I got to go back and like rebuild it. It's not just bitterness. It's way more than that. Well, first of all, there's so many different ways that actors go about it. There really is no one method. You know, the method is just a method. Uh, So personally, I think to simplify it, I think for a long time I was sort of more of a uh, working from the inside out. So I would sort of think about what the character, you know, what the, oh, the, the basic things. What does the character want? What's his action in the scene? What is he trying to accomplish? And it would sort of come out of my own voice in my own kind of manner. And then maybe I would add elements, extraneous elements, like, oh, maybe he talks a certain way, but that would come later. And now for some reason, just because I've been doing this a long time and I'm trying to keep it interesting, I guess, <laughs> uh, or I, just the way I, I respond to things lately, I kind of start thinking about the exteriors first. And then, but you need both. You need the in, inner life and the external. And so I just kind of, that's just interesting to me right now. But I, and I think the reason that I didn't so much do that in the past, and I think other actors may think, oh, exterior first, that's bad, is because it's, it sounds like you're saying, oh, I'm just, it's, it sounds surfacy. 
Well, when you like say I'm, 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 I'm just going to talk like this or something, and I'm going to walk a certain way, but that's externals. And when you're an actor in our time, it's drilled into you that it's all about your inner life, the inner world, and the externals come later. But the thing is, if you start with the externals, the inner life can also grow from that because it sets off something in your imagination. So I just kind of, I've noticed that like in the last couple of years, I start to, I sort of approach it from a a sort of different direction than I used to where I sort of think about the externals and that, that helps me find the inner life as opposed to finding the inner life and then finding the externals out of that. And that's the sort of, little change that I'm just aware of personally. But what I, what that is neither good nor bad or better or worse than what anyone else does. It's just kind of the way I've been thinking lately. But say I wrote something and I came over and said, oh, I'm so glad to have you on set here today. I'm really excited and loved your screen test. It's just perfect what we're looking for. W- would you say, hey, so I've been thinking, in my mind, this character, when he was a kid, would ride around on a bike around the neighborhood kind of looking to pick a fight or at least open to if one showed up and he had a butterfly knife that he was very proud of but he never really showed anyone because his dad had given it to him and his dad was hard on him and i'm just standing there as the writer going great dude or would i or would you expect me to go yeah yeah that's what i said well that's that kind of thing totally depends on the director or the writer that you're collaborating with Mm -hmm. um uh an actor told me once about working with steven spielberg and he met him he was cast in a thing and then he was at a thing and he actually ran into him like at an event before he was in the movie and he said I'm so excited to be in the movie and Spielberg said really excited you're here and then the actor told me that he started talking about the character like that so I think this is a guy who like you know he hated his mother but he loved his dog and you know he starts (laughs) doing all and he said you could see Spielberg just check out from this conversation (laughs) and then he realized oh no Spielberg just hired me because I can act and he just wants me to act, and he doesn't want to talk about, you know, yeah. the backstory with me. But maybe he would, in some context. I guess not at this party or whatever. But the thing is, you kind of take your cues from these people because some directors don't want to talk about that stuff, and some do. And the fact is, that kind of sounds like something it's easy to make fun of, like you're doing whatever, death of a salesman. What does it matter? what Willie Loman's bicycle was like. But if that unlocks something in the actor's imagination, then that's good. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. I think I hear your child in the distance. Is that your child? <laughs> that's a child. I mean, who All knows? Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's the, it's the inner ch- child. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's an inner child speaking out to say, uh, one time I, I attributed <laughs> this to one of the beat poets. Uh, first thought best thought and i thought it was like maybe not kerouac or uh-huh and someone corrected me and said that's actually the buddha like, oh, of course six of so, one half a dozen of the other yeah kerouac the buddha come <laughs> same person they both like sitting around smiling but i like <laughs> kerouac, no kerouac was sound of course but it's, it's slightly different <laughs> i think of jack kerouac just smiling away yeah yeah he's like this is a nice party <laughs> but the um Oh, it was whoever did Howl. I'm blanking. Allen Ginsberg. Yes. So I think he was big into first thought, best thought. And if you're a poet, you know, and you have to, what comes next? You know, something pops in well, your Well, those head. guys were into the spontaneous thing. But acting, if you have something where 
you open the page, you see this character's name is Carl Stevens, does nothing for you. But in your head, for whatever reason, you see a cowboy hat or you hear, I am Carl. You're like, well, let me read a little further. Maybe that accent doesn't shake for Carl, but there's something there to unlock. Like maybe you thought of him driving a pickup truck. It could be anything. Yeah, just, exactly. That's, but that's all help. Do you reject some of it sometimes? Go, no, no, no. And you're like, back you, to the you, you, you just let it go if it, doesn't, if it doesn't spark anything. If there's a little spark and, you know, the, uh, the, ex, the electric cord starts to go, you can just tell when something's like. But, you know, we, we, we carry around all these sort of. And also there's stuff that we all carry around. People we've met, we've seen. You've done it as a comedian. You're like, this thing has just been in my head for years, but I haven't really used it for anything. And then one day yeah. you're like, oh, I could do a joke about mm-hmm. that thing that's been floating in my head or that turn of phrase that I heard. Yeah. So there are things like that too that are kind of, you know, creative people tend to have all these little, just little things floating around in your head yeah. that can be useful. But yeah, you just, you just, that kind of like way of thinking can be very helpful uh, but sometimes it's better if it's private, that, that it, 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 it doesn't really accomplish anything. Some directors might not want to hear all that. But, but also, when I started out, I, had a, uh, uh, I worked with a theater company, and uh, this woman named Karen Coonrod, who was basically my men- mentor, we founded a theater company together, and she taught me a lot about theater. Uh, she would do things where when she directed sometimes plays, she would say something that sounds kind of arty or weird. She'd be like, you're a Picasso painting or whatever, you know, and some people wouldn't like that. They'd be like, what are you talking about? Just tell me what the scene's about. But I'd be like, no, I know what that means. It means that I'm kind of flat, but my head is turned, but like that means that I'm sort of aware of what's around me. Like somehow yeah. she would direct metaphorically, but I would get the metaphor. Mm-hmm. I would, and the metaphor would, I could translate that into something active where, you know, you're a fox. I mean, well, I know exactly what that means. You know, I'm kind of, I'm, 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 I'm confident, but I'm also looking out for danger. Like, Mm -hmm. and that can unlock something for you where some actors are like, don't tell me I'm a tree. Like that's meaningless. But for some actors, that kind of language can work because you have to, you translate it into something active and specific. But that kind of stuff is also very easy to make fun of, and sometimes it doesn't work. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, but there's something because there's something about getting away from being literal that can make something more dynamic. Like if you're playing a guy whose father died, it might not be great to think about when your father died because it's too close to the thing, and so there's no pressure between those two forces mm-hmm. that your memory which is very powerful in this character whereas if you think of something else uh maybe a time where i was alone or a time where i lost something but it's not your father that can create a more vivid dynamic and a more vivid emotion you know what i mean absolutely than the literal thing so sometimes saying you are a picasso painting can be better than saying you're upset because your wife left you yeah. And you know, if it's if 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 the other person directing is on the same page and I had the good fortune with this director I'm talking about, we just we like spoke this common language. I just she would say weird stuff like that and I would know what it meant. I would get it and it would become an active thing. You know what I mean? So that that kind of metaphorical stuff can really work. And re- and adjacent to that, the kind of backstory that's not in the script, like I'm playing 
this character, and there's nothing in the script about his butterfly net when he was a boy, but for some reason, he used to go out and catch bugs, and he's to, now he's trying to catch this girl. Like, there, you can, yeah. it can create a dynamic that actually is alive and can work. Well, but it's a very strange business, you know, <laughs> this business of creating these Creativity characters. and make-believe, <laughs> and yet somehow knowing there's a right answer or feeling like there is one is so weird because the director has in their mind, and maybe they wrote it from a place of, you're in my attic where I was a kid and my grandparents' urns were both up there. My parents never told us. And so I going up there felt so weird. And maybe you do the scene where you're like, hey, you guys want to play chess? <laughs> the director would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. This is a place of reverence and trying to get you to that place. They might use metaphors or they might just say, hey, when I'm doing these little audio sketches, and it's not really the same because it, there's a dimension missing of the visual aspect, but maybe I have a line that's like incredulous or like, how, how is dropping an ice cream cone in an anthill a good thing? And I might have in my head how I want that to sound or at least a range. Yes. And someone comes in and they go, Hal is dropping an ice cream. And I just go, uh-uh. The energy's, I don't know why. Yes. There could be any number of right answers, but that's not one of them. Sometimes people are just like, just tell me. Just say it how you want well, me to Well, and this is like one of the great taboos of acting is that the director never gives you a line reading. That's considered like so I have hugely so, inappropriate. But everyone for the voice, I I've gotten to the point now where I ask them like, is that offensive? They go, no, I prefer it because some people was, do, and I actually don't mind it because it's so rare. Mm-hmm. And now and then a director will say they 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 use a soft voice and they always preface it by saying, "Do you mind?" So they'll go, "Do you mind if I give you a line reading?" And they'll be like, "I." Don't want the crackers, you know, not I don't yeah. want the crackers, you know, and you're like, oh, I got it. Because the reason people are don't like that idea, obviously, is because it's like you're saying, say it like this, and that means you're not saying it with any motivation, ostensibly, then the actor's not saying it, uh, it's not believing it, it's not saying it uh, to accomplish something, they're just imitating someone else. But the fact is, the imitation can unlock the active thing. I, and I, I've done a little bit of... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go on. Oh, I was just going to say that I, for, you know, I don't consider myself uh, a trained or even practicing actor, but I could see where it would be offensive, where I'd go, let, let me figure it out. And so I try to avoid it, but I like trying to create this sensory element of, oh my God, no, 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 try it this way. You just got the key and you really need to use the bathroom at a truck stop and you turn the key and you open it and inside is a horror show. It's that sort of, oh my God. Exactly. And that's good direction. And that I do that because I've directed uh, like the same thing. I've directed these scripted podcast plays mm-hmm. that I've produced and um, I yeah. have very specific ideas about them. Very... Ex- exactly. Yeah. You do. And uh, uh, maybe someday the public will hear that. It's been a long, <laughs> a long way to get it's that. It's fun though. It's out a fun script. Air. But th- that there's a thing where I'll, I'll like, I'll feel like there's a certain energy and a quality that I want here. But I never do a line reading because I just figured that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. But I will do the same thing where I'll, I'll, you'll use a sort of metaphor or you know, say it's like you, you know. Once I told an act, an actress, uh, it's like you're having trouble breathing. And then it, she goes, she's playing characters who's kind of desperate. And I, that was the, so it was kind of almost a physical thing. Like, just imagine you actually are having trouble breathing while you say this. And then I didn't want her actually to not breathe, but I was, that was just an idea. Like what, and then it gave a kind of emotion uh, to it oh, that nice. was really good. Instead yeah. of me just saying, can you talk like this? <laughs> you know, 
I yeah. gave her a kind of idea of like, how would you talk if you were having trouble breathing? And that translated into an emotional quality that was great. And we got a great take from it. So you try to, directing is fun because you do, you try to come up with stuff like that. Where indeed, it's not literal. It's not like I'm saying sound desperate. I was yeah. like, oh, you're, you're having trouble literally breathing. Imagine that. And what would that do to what you're saying? And it was so removed from the actual emotion of what was happening. It actually worked. One of my rare successes in directing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it made me think exactly of the the script that I wrote that you lent your voice skills to. There was a thing like in parentheses saying, doing little spits like when people have had enough. And you're like, what does that mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. You had a stage direction and I wasn't sure what it meant. But I think I wrote that just so I could explain it in some way. Because I thought, what are the chances someone reads this and knows exactly what I mean? <laughs> but it's like in torture scenes in movies where someone's going... And just exactly like what you just said, once I could see your eyes kind of beam up. Go, oh, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're you talking You know who about. does a lot of directing like that is Jackson Public, the creator of the Venture Brothers, where he directs very meticulously. And as you know, Dr. Venture goes through a lot of, you know, physical torment and stuff, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, you know, there's no gravity. He hits the ceiling. He gets beat up by a bad guy. Yeah. And he would often be incredibly specific about not only my lines, but about the sounds I would make. So if I was like, if the character is being punched in the stomach, he'd be like, he would basically do like, you know, when it's like really, you know, it's like, Aah! you know, and he would <laughs> really imitate like the guttural utterances. Nice. <laughs> and was that, did it feel too line reedy or did, was that helpful? No, it was helpful because he was actually like describing a physical reaction as opposed to just, this is the noise that I want you to imitate. Oh, gotcha, yeah. You know what I mean? How does how is that when someone's so particular? I bet from both sides. If a director let's do it's ten great. more takes, uh, or you know you have Daniel Day Lewis, I can't do the scene. There's production trucks in the background. The entire crew has to move. Everyone that worked had to move everything: catering, wardrobe, all the trucks move out of the way so that he can look out. That looks like the untouched west. Well, now I can do it. I gotta say uh, that if he did it in a civil manner. And, you know, sometimes actors are, uh, a lot of adrenaline is going. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> like the famous audio of the famous actor who's like, get out of the way. You know, I <laughs> yeah. won't name names. We all know that a few years ago yeah. went viral. But I understood that. And later he he's like, I'm sorry. You seem like a great guy. He's be imitating this famous <laughs> actor who we good. all know. Uh, but, you know, you're like in the zone and it can be distracting. And the fact is, if they were shooting a... If they were shooting a master of the countryside and there were crew trucks in the way, you would get them out of the shot well, because it fucks up the shot. It's not going to be a good shot if yeah. we have crew trucks. But if the guy is looking out and he wants to just focus on what's there and he's – I am not a, an actor of the status where I could tell someone to move a truck. Uh, but I might say, can we just like – I don't know – clean that table so I can just kind of get a clear view of this thing. You yeah. Know. So I, that's not necessarily a terrible thing. But the thing is, these stories can sound, and sometimes they are indulgent. And I have been on sets. There's one story I can, it's very vivid to me, where a uh, an actor was being very indulgent and you could tell that they were demanding things just because it was a power thing. It wasn't about the quality of the scene or yeah. the performance. I guarantee you that's what was happening. Yeah. They were just, this is like someone who was on a, recent a somewhat successful show and they were like asking the crew to do things but i could tell it was just them 
throwing their weight around. Ugh. And later, other people who had worked with this person confirmed that, like, yeah, th- this is a difficult person. Ugh. But it was framed as, this will help me make the scene better. But it really, that was actual indulgence, yeah. you know. That was a case where, why do we have to move the truck? You're not even looking at the trucks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking, Well, too, I know they're there. If you're a method actor and you're in the, I'm in the character, I'm here. Maybe you even in there determine, wait, this character is a jerk and this is, this is what they would do. Now the whole crew feels that energy. And at the rap party, you go, I'm so sorry I've done that. I, yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's a thing. I mean, basically, like, there's a misinterpretation of the idea of the method that it's like you stay in character all day. And that that's, that's kind of the modern idea of what that means. Uh-huh. I have a friend uh, named Isaac Butler who wrote a great book about the method that's out now. Oh, cool. Uh, and he goes into this stuff. I recommend that book, by the way. What's it called? Uh, I think it's called The Method. Okay. Yeah. But, um, and uh, the idea of The Method was just that it, it was an idea to get sort of more emotional realism. Uh, and it didn't necessarily mean that you you need to pretend that you're that person at Crafty. Because in a <laughs> sense, you can't. Yeah. The character is only what happens in the action of the play or the movie. It's kind of absurd to say... I'm still Abraham Lincoln when I'm sitting over here in Crafty eating a donut, you know. <laughs> but on the other hand, the surface elements can also, like I said, the surface elements, how you speak, if you have an accent, how you walk, those can be hard to maintain. And I've worked with actors who are doing dialects, and sometimes they keep the dialect between shots, and some some don't. But it's kind of like, you know, if you're, you're performing something athletic, you, you want to stay pumped up or whatever, you know? It's yeah. just, so I totally understand that where like, you, like you're like you an, an English guy playing an American or vice versa and you keep the voice up because it's just easier to stay on the bicycle than get off it every yeah. two blocks, you know what I mean? So, but that's not about like, but I'm still this guy, but it's just, you're still keeping up the, you know... The qualities. The important thing is just try to be civil to people. Don't yeah. be an asshole about it. And it is easy. Like I myself have, I've, I'm, you know me. I'm very, I'm very easygoing. But even me under duress have like snapped on sets and things. Like it happens to everybody. Yeah, you're human. You know, I, and then you know you say I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 because you're so you're kind of you're you're in a heightened state. Everyone is. The crew is, everyone's working and they're yeah. trying to, time, it, also filmmaking is all about time. And that's a huge part of acting. Like everything I, I'm, and I, like I, there's a lot of stuff where I just didn't have the time. Like I get it, you know, TV works really fast. They'd be like, I've gotten jobs where they're like, they lost an actor, they need a replacement, you start tomorrow. <laughs> I once got a, a TV job where I literally was learning my lines like in the trailer. Normally you get at least like a week or so. Yeah. But even then that's not a lot of time for, prepare and there's not a lot of rehearsal so you try to you know so i'm always better when i have more time to think about these things and then if i don't have time then i just kind of am by the seat of my pants and i try to coast on my technique and then when the thing airs i'm usually not very happy with it because it feels like a bunch of tricks but do you feel you know and i didn't really get inside yeah but i mean but then what does it look like to the audience a lot of people don't care and don't read into that stuff that's that's true and well, it and becomes it a little indulgent like? for me to think I wasn't good. All right, I'll shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say,
to say like with your brethren when you're sitting around and telling swapping stories you go i got this sheet the day before i went in there i did my job you know what i did i did my job i mean it wasn't my greatest performance i didn't i didn't i couldn't get in i couldn't get the externals and the internals but i'll bet everyone that you know admires that's and, fair enough yeah. you know hey look i made this chair it's not exactly it's not an eames chair or whatnot it's just uh, it's just uh, some wood that i put together and i had to put it together yeah it's you, you put it in your garage. You do like the work. Part yeah, I've made it. some workmanlike chairs in my acting. Let's put it that way. <laughs> that aren't very special, and anyone could have made them. I'll tell you that they're not unique. They don't have my signature on them. That's the other thing. You're like, how can I make this? When you audition, you're like, they're going to see so many people to play Professor Brown. How can I make Professor Brown more interesting? Yeah. How do I? How do I do that? They're going to see a million guys going. Well, if we defuse the bomb, then we'll be okay. And like, how do you, what do you, <laughs> it's hard. What I like about your acting style is it always feels like, oh yeah, totally. That was so James. But then you think about it, you're like, that was really different than that other character. So there's like a through line that's just probably in your DNA. You're not going to escape it. You know, you're going yeah, to Yeah, I be... speak a certain way and I have a certain appearance, like every actor. Right. And that's always going to be there. And there, yeah. That's the thing though, that's like, and then you have some people who, like Daniel Day-Lewis and the late Heath Ledger, where they would like change their voice. Like they speak differently each time. They have a different voice, different accent, yeah. different energy. And-, the very, and that's, it's wonderful because those are two of the greatest guys ever. But like that's that's their style where you have other great actors who, you know, they always kind of sound the same and they seem the same, but that's but they're great too. It's just a different way of, you know, going about it. I think of uh, Charlize Theron getting into the role for Monster, which, you know, crazy character to play a sociopath, a, a serial killer. And then to play Furiosa in uh, Mad Max Fury Road. And, and yeah. you know, you shave your head, you, you transform a little bit of your own personal aesthetic. But just the tension of driving that truck and being in that all day. And I think of the work, like you're talking about producers have to go, hey, everybody, we're a little bit behind for lunch. We're going to press through. We got to make our day because you have unions breathing down your neck. If you go two minutes over, you get a meal penalty. You pay bonus time. You pay extra. The trucks, everything costs money. So everyone's working like it is uh, a short line or short order cook in a kitchen. Just like (laughs) keep it moving. Keep it moving. We got to get all these orders out. And Brian Cranston being a producer on Breaking Bad, so being over there, you know, behind the camera, kind of going, okay, we can make that, put that there, yeah, park that car that way. What if we had the like a dent? Someone get a hammer, smash that car, and then, oh, Brian, we need you on set right now, and then you just pop in, and everyone would, I think, you unanimously say it's a pretty great body of work as an actor to play that that character. It's at least not like laughably bad. Won some awards, so we'll just say it was well done. But to just pop in, okay, ready, and then sink into it. Is that rare or is that helpful because he was on the production side and could see, like, it's work. It's building a chair. It's just making it. I'm sure in his case, because he was deep inside that character because, you know, it was a series. And if mm-hmm. you're in a good series, you're going to have – that's the thing. All the all the time you've put in informs what you're doing, and the character becomes very well-rounded. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure he was deep inside it when he was wearing other hats other than an actor on that set. Yeah. But that would be very difficult to do if he hadn't played that character before. 
Like like I'm saying, I'm just desperate for time when I get something. Like time, time, time. Yeah. I'm I'm only good when I spend a lot of time on something. It's just it just it's not as good. Like I'm like a lot of actors. I have a surface ease to this. You know, when I was in when I was in high school, I was I didn't really do a lot of plays in high school. I was a senior. I was in a school play, and I I was good for a high school kid. You know, who didn't know what he was doing mm-hmm. because I had some innate. I had a flair for it. I just had some innate ability to do this, even though I didn't know anything about acting. So most actors have that innate thing where they can kind of fool people. (laughs) And a lot of viewers don't think about things the way we're discussing them. Like a lot of, you can tell if someone's good or bad, but a lot of these subtleties people don't really notice. So, and that's, and I've also learned to take compliments. Like if someone says, I loved you in that show, and I'm like, oh my God, that's rude. (laughs) That's not nice, because that's happened to me. I had an actor friend in New York once, an actress, and I was like, oh, I saw you in this TV movie, and I mentioned the TV movie, and she said, oh, why don't you see something I'm good in? <laughs> and I totally understood what she was saying, but it also was like, oh, just take the compliment. Just yeah. say thank you. <laughs> but I totally get it. I understand why she said that. She's And I'm sure like she probably, for whatever reason, felt she didn't find the key to that character and that thing. And I just enjoyed watching her in it. And it's like, oh, there's my friend in this thing on TV. But I'm, and I, I have been so on that side of things so many times. There's so many things where like, I'll start to watch it. And I'll be like, nope. Like I've done a lot of, and this is a classic humble brag because I'm saying I've done a lot of TV, but sometimes I can't watch it. You know, you got to frame the brag self-deprecatingly. That's, yeah. that, it's not just a brag. But there are TV gigs where I'd be like, I'll watch the first scene and go, nope. Turn it off. I can't watch anymore because I can tell I didn't. I didn't get it, and that it's just fingers on a blackboard. I'm like, I cannot watch myself. I don't mind the way I look. I don't mind the way I speak. It's if I don't find, if I feel like I'm faking it, and I faked it a lot. Trust me. And sometimes you have no choice. You just. I don't have time. I yeah. just didn't have the time to make this a dimensional character. So I'm kind of doing a surfacey thing, and I have to kind of forgive myself for those. Uh, performances even the greatest even the pantheon the greats have performances like that where they didn't quite get it i won't name names but think of all the greatest actors they all of them sometimes miss the boat it's just what happens it's life but it's it's tough it's tough to and then it's like it's out there fortunately mine tend the ones i'm most displeased with are like one-off tv appearances where it's just a guest star which have a very brief shelf life that no one really talks about yeah. No one talks about my performance on Law and Order Criminal Intent from like 1999. It just doesn't matter, you know. It's not, it's not in the culture. It's not like a classic film. Like if I was in Casablanca and I, and I fucked up my scene, I'd be like, oh my God, everyone's going to see me in this forever. Generations yeah. are going to watch this. So that makes me feel better. Like a lot of, it is, a lot of the stuff I suck in is disposable TV anyway. And suck is... <laughs> and then, yeah, I got to say, it helps you learn. Every time I see myself not do good i'm like okay what went wrong because sometimes it's not just like i didn't have time but like but you could have thought of this or that in the time you had and why didn't you and i have a little i have like little notebooks all over the place and things on my phone where i have notes about acting for myself and a lot of them are based on mistakes i've made (laughs) (laughs) well i want to uh i want to get more into that because i think of it as like someone who is a little behind on a pitch and they still manage to hit a home run to the opposite field and everyone's congratulating them and they're shaking their head going, Dah, it's not where I wanted to hit it. That like is, it's, that's hilarious. I, that just feels like such a 
an apropos analogy to how people feel when everyone says, hey, good job. And you just you can't in your soul summon the ability to say thank you because you go. Uh-uh, no, no because yes, because your standard is different than the people watching it. Mm-hmm. They're like, you caught the ball. It's great. No, but I uh, technically yeah, it wasn't. I, was just, I screwed it up. No, no. Everyone does that. Yeah. We'll take a little, little short break <laughs> and then I want to get into that plus some. Isn't he great? What a wonderful human being to talk to. Fantastic actor. Come back for part two. Uh, sorry for the little delay in putting episodes out. Um, we had the schedule t- to be on time. Had a little bit of a family accident. Everyone's okay, but uh, it involved things like dental surgery. Things like Not for me, but for uh, someone in my family. Anyway, uh, it threw things off with scheduling, etc. So... Uh, it's also, I mean, you know, if everyone's down about the state of the world and uh, this impending feeling of, you know, people being in harm's way, uh, sending good thoughts out to anyone just on the planet, but especially if you are in or around the Ukraine, if you know people there, if you're able to help in any way, um, hopefully coming into this show, take your mind off it a little bit without being uh, so disrespectful or ignorant of things happening in the world so um be nice be good to each other be nice human beings can't believe you need to be reminded of that as um andy Kristovsky said in an email recently i can't believe that's become like a slogan that's on t-shirts be a good human being but we need to be reminded of that more than ever it seems like so come back next week for part two james urbaniak we get more into his early days training those great moments where someone makes the leap from this being kind of a pipe dream to a reality all of that. Um, I'm sure I'm leaving something out. Thanks to Dan. Thanks to Rob Crow for the theme song. Uh, thanks to you. Thanks to uh, everyone who support, supports the show via Patreon. It really does make a difference with uh, web hosting and um, software, monthly rentals, storage. And hopefully we'll get back into doing uh, some beer. This was the first in-person show sent in two years. And it felt nice. We didn't have any beer, obviously, but that's next to come. So felt good to be doing it in person again. I'll hopefully get back to doing that. And uh, if you have suggestions for beer or guests, pings at thespacecave.com or just go to thespacecave.com is the best way to do it. And if you really want to see inclusion and diversity and all of those great things, you can be helpful. You can be proactive. So reach out with suggestions. Put me in touch with people. I really want to do that, and I need a little help. So any any move on that front uh, is much appreciated. Okay, let's get out of here. This is a song by Men We Trust. It's called Sugar. I hope you like it. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave. <laughs>